The following is a conversation with Miss D, a music educator from Los Angeles County. Miss D talks about her journey from growing up in East LA with a hunger to play music, traveling to China, and her desire to help students have access to music in high need communities. Afterwards, we'll have an after show. For those just tuning in to Pepe and Ibra for the first time, I'm Pepe, aka Joanna Glass, and Ibra, aka A. Perez, is my bandmate, and we are professional musicians in a two-piece rock band called Glass Spirits. This podcast will have guests who are musicians or professionals in the music and entertainment business. They'll have music tips, discuss issues within the music industry, what inspires them, and their creative process. Our current schedule will be to publish each episode every week. We have all the episodes filmed and already in the can, so you'll definitely get an episode a week coming to you. Uh, If we get a positive response, we'll have a second season, so make sure you like, comment, rate, and review our podcast. The theme of this season is Voyager. Many of our guests have come from all over the world or their transplants from across the country. And the voyage doesn't have to be physical. Many of them have had emotional and spiritual voyages as well. We have some very quick announcements. We won't always have sponsors, but when we do, we'll read their messages at the beginning of the episode so that the conversation is not interrupted. Do you love to sing? Do you wish you could hit those higher notes with more ease or hold them longer? Do you wish your voice wouldn't get tired after belting? Do you wonder how you can step to the next level and get ready for your band's next gig or recording? So, if you're looking to improve your singing, then look no further than Valle Vocal Studios. Vocal coach Laura Valle has over 20 years' experience in the music industry as a performer, producer, and vocal instructor with a passion to figure out each individual vocal challenge. I called Laura 13 years ago and told her about my former background in music and my goals, that I wanted to improve my range and only had a limited amount of time to practice. Fortunately, she was very flexible and didn't enforce a rigid curriculum. She would listen to my voice, diagnose problems like a doctor, and with practice, I immediately noticed smoother transitions between different ranges and tones. I am really fortunate to have found a teacher who is technical, flexible, and encourages creativity. 13 years later, I am more confident about my singing, especially in my band Glass Spirits, so I definitely recommend Laura S. Valle. You can find more information about the lessons at www.vallevocalstudios.com and call Laura for a phone consultation. Tell them that Pepe and Ibra sent you and get 50% off your first lesson. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe on YouTube. Give it five stars and a good review on Apple Podcasts. Support us on Patreon and connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or our website, pepeandibra.com. Now, without further ado, here's our conversation with Miss D. All right. Welcome to another episode of Pepe and Ibra. I am Pepe, a.k.a. Joanna Glass of the rock band Glass Spirits. And I have with me here a very special guest. Um, 
I've known her for a few years now, and she's been such a positive presence in my life. And um, I'm so grateful to know her and <laughs> especially the circumstances we were in. Um, it was very fortuitous. Um, she's so talented, brilliant, caring, and yeah, let's just have her on. Um, she is Misty. Hi, Misty. How Hello. are you? Whoa, ravaging yeah. applause from both of us. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. My um, very first podcast, too. Yes, I am so glad to be popping your podcast cherry. <laughs> I, I love being the first. I love being the innovator. <laughs> So, um, yeah, uh, we, we can talk about so many things for so many hours, but, um, since this is a music or creativity or music industry related podcast, um, you know, we can talk about those kind of things because I know from personally knowing you that music is so important to you and you have been and will continue to touch so many people's lives with music. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, I like to start off with giving the audience some context on how we know each other. Okay. Interesting so, story. <laughs> okay. And, um, so we met, I was taking a class at a local city college. And by the way, I redact like specific, you know, college names and things to okay. like, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, I was, I signed up for a triathlon class. Was it triathlon? Yeah. It was triathlon. Okay. Triathlon uh, training at 5.50 uh, in the morning. Yeah, it, was, it was so awful. <laughs> Towards the end, I just, I just started like showing up an hour late. <laughs> I just didn't, I stopped giving a fuck. Luckily, our instructor was so nice to me still. And um, yeah, I just, I'm not a morning person, but. Um. Nor was I. I don't know <laughs> what the hell I was thinking. Uh, yeah. I I think at the time it was like, I had put it on like my life's to-do list to run a marathon. Mm -hmm. And then I discovered it was 26.2 miles so then I was like no I'm gonna do a half marathon and I'm like no nah, that's still a lot of miles mm -hmm. so I'm like oh this is nice because a triathlon I only have to do like a third of it and then mm -hmm. I can do the other part on a bike or swim but turns out I didn't know how to swim um and luckily for me you weren't the greatest swimmer either, and that's actually yeah. where we bonded, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th this is what happened. So um, basically, <laughs> me and Misty were in this shallow end of the pool. We were like in the kitty area, like the three feet and under, and everyone else was pretty much like five feet depth and over and they were just doing their laps going back and forth back and forth like olympic trainers and we were literally like a step away from getting like floaties <laughs> yeah and well it, it i was also like super lazy too and oh my god and so um i'd like do i'd go from like one end to another end and um and then i would just chill there and then i'd just like wait for you and our other friend um alexis uh to you know she 
she'd come by, but she would actually like keep going. And then you and I mm. would just like start talking at the shell end yeah. of the pool. And then so from then on, we just like got acquainted. And then we saw each other naked at the showers. Yeah. <laughs> and that so, was a really like bonding moment for us, right? It's like. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I remember you were telling me the the guy that you were dating at the time you're telling him about me that I was just I I can't even remember the exact words do you it was it was something to the extent of like man there's this girl in my triathlon class who's just who lets it all out (laughs) literally literally I guess I shouldn't complain because I had it all out too (laughs) yeah and um we were just like showering naked I mean we all had like our own shower stalls but like in this communal you know showering area and then we we're talking about relationships uh and that's yeah <laughs> and one of the things that I remember finding like really endearing about you is that we're just in such a vulnerable place where every it's just a bunch of strangers and we're all like waking up early in the summertime and people aren't really there to socialize it's yeah. like People mostly were keeping to themselves and trying to just make it through the laps of whatever, the runs, the swims, whatever. And when we got into the shower and we're all naked in this communal space, it's also, again, like a vulnerable place. But you were willing to open up about, like, your personal life to me. I don't know if, like, you just trusted me right away, Mm -hmm. but it made... I I think in general, when we find people who are willing to share, then it it's like, oh, you've expressed your vulnerability. I can feel vulnerable rather than like keeping up a wall. And I'm like, I like this girl. She's cool. Like she doesn't care. We're like (laughs) boobies out and and all problems out, whatever. What do we have to fake? You know, Mm -hmm. but so that that was really cool. That's when I first took a liking to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the, the feeling was mutual. So, um, yeah. Uh, and so then, like, throughout, at the time, I was, like, kind of dating someone at, at the time. And then I was, like, going through these issues with him. And, um, yeah, and then I just, I had your number, and I just called you up. And I was like, hey, you, you want to hang out so I can pretty much complain about him? <laughs> And we met at a Starbucks and you were just like so available and emotionally available. And it was just so nice. And then so ever since then, we've just hung out and Mm -hmm. um, developed our friendship. So, um, so yeah, Uh, from then on, we, you know, we've been to like karaoke and, um, you know, we did like Shakespeare in the park, you know, Mm -hmm. just like a lot of art related events Mm. and things and um and yeah that's an important part of your life is that you really love the arts and Mm. that's what I really admire about you so yeah if you can uh tell our listeners what um what city where you were born and if you can just talk about um growing up uh some influences in your life that led you to um take up music until yeah you until you started studying music in college Mm. um oof where did it all begin um I grew up uh in East Los Angeles in in what is a, a low income community and the arts weren't something that were of like the they weren't a focus of our school 
And it seemed in general of the district, especially at the time, um, we had a music teacher that would come into the elementary school, I think it was once a week, and he would only teach students who had passed a proficiency test in rhythm and like, and really basic melodies. And so like, I was wondering, well, I always wanted to play an instrument. And I remember thinking to myself, if this guy's coming in and testing people on something we've never learned, how are we supposed to get the knowledge? This is like way before like, you could find YouTube videos and like learn to play rhythms and whatnot. Um, well, eventually I, I passed this test, but the problem was if you wanted to be in his once a week after school music program, like there was just so many obstacles to get to um, to get to be a part of like the music group or the like to be able to play music within the district. It wasn't something that like was being pushed onto us. It was something that we had to definitely. It felt for me at least that we had to fight for. Um, and then once you were admitted into the program, because they only allowed like X amount of students, I can't remember how many, but I, I want to say there was something about like, like 30 students in that after school program. Um, you had to rent or purchase your own instrument and coming home, um, to my family who wasn't making a lot of money and then suddenly telling them like, Hey, I need you to cough up like $300 for, for a violin, which, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to play. I'm like eight years old and there there stands the risk that I could damage this and you've lost $300, you know, me or like my siblings or somebody else could have damaged the instrument. So my mom saw that and she didn't think to herself, someone that didn't grow up with like the arts around her, it she didn't see that and think, oh, this is an opportunity for my child to like express herself creatively. She thought to herself, how much money is this going to cost our really big family on a limited budget? And if something were to happen, what if it's just another phase? What if to my daughter, it's just like another toy? So she eventually, she told me that I couldn't do it. That And that crushed me. That crushed me so much just thinking this had been like a dream of mine. I always thought to myself, I, I kind of felt that like, at the time, like I had a lot of suppressed emotions and seeing people get on stage and play their instrument, I thought to myself, listen I can hear what they want to tell me and they've never they have not opened their mouths so like seeing the power of expression through music was something that I thought was so beautiful and I wanted to be able to do that I just didn't realize that there was at the time it just I didn't think it would be so complicated so Mm -hmm. I think that that's definitely something that I like that that as an adult now, as a music teacher now, I want to make sure that kids know, like, this is something that is easily accessible to you if if you are willing to put in the work for it. And that's all I need you to do. Just, like, dedicate yourself to this. And, and I don't need you to pay money. I don't need you to worry about all those other factors. Mm. Like, this is something that, that's at your fingertips. If you want it. And obviously, you're, like, you... you you're willing to put in the time to become like a good musician. So, so yeah. What led you from growing up in Los Angeles to studying music? How, what was the mindset behind that? What was your journey? So when I was, um, when I was in middle school, um, I think again, I had, um, 
I tried to join music and I don't remember what what excuse like the counselors had given. I think the classes were just like they were at capacity. They ended up putting me in a different um, in a different elective, which I stayed in all three years of um, all three years of middle school. And by then, um, by then, I think I had already. I already had it set in my mind that it's like music is something for people that were born with the talent of being a musician, mm-hmm. not something that like any person can acquire. Mm. Um, because I had just like elementary school obstacles, middle school obstacles. So then I got to high school and I feel I got a super late start for like most of my musician friends have been playing since they were in grade school. And I actually didn't start playing till I was in high school. Um, it wasn't until my senior year of high school. I had finished I had finished all my graduating credits except for two classes, which you had to finish. It was like your senior year. I want to say it was like government and English but all the other classes I had fulfilled because I always did zero period and I stayed after school I led all these clubs so I had I think I graduated with like 60 or 70 extra credits Mm. um and so and so I actually qualified to go home on something they called early departure Mm. I could have gone to school from from like only third period fourth period and then gone home or first Mm. or second and then got home for the rest of the day but I thought to myself I'm not gonna have that like that high school experience of like being with my friends and whatnot so I decided to fill my schedule and um and I'm like well this is something I've always wanted to do I'm gonna give this one last shot yeah and if they don't let me into music now then maybe music was meant for me Mm. and so I go speak to the music teacher she gives me the okay the counselor's place me in there and I remember when I first started I was um I I had the fourth chair as a bassist mm-hmm. um I started on the stand-up bass and I always wanted to play the bass because it was such a versatile instrument mm. like you can play in jazz you can play in rock you can play classical mm. you can play cumbias you can play salsa <laughs> you know like yeah um it and so I really love that about the instrument so I joined orchestra as the fourth bassist and you were allowed at the end of every month to challenge the chair before you mm. um, and in a competition, right? And Whoa. so if you could outplay them, they would move you up. Whoa. And so I would take my bass home. I was so excited to finally have an instrument. I would take my bass home every weekend. And the first time I did, I actually walked with this bass home that was like almost 30 pounds. And I was in high school, so at the time I weighed like 120 pounds you know so that that was really heavy for me I carried it home and by the time I took it home my arms were hurting so much that I couldn't I couldn't even lift them up to play Wait, you walked with it home or you I had... walked with it home yeah yeah I okay. walked the base home <laughs> this 30 pound base home you didn't have like a trolley or anything? I didn't have a trolley I didn't oh. have a wheel nothing I just walked like oh. and these are LA blocks this isn't like oh like I walked like I I, I want to say maybe it was like it wasn't a lot. It must have been like two, like a mile and a half, two miles maybe to get home. Mm-hmm. But that was a lot. <laughs> like, a, like a 16, 17-year-old um, that didn't weigh that much to carry 30 pounds for that many blocks. So I was super exhausted. The next weekend I asked my mom um, 
if she'd come with her car or her van and then we started transporting it. And yeah. so there, that way I was practicing every weekend. I challenged the third chair. I challenged the second chair. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I didn't challenge the first chair was because I couldn't read music mm -hmm. and he would write the notes like um, he would write the fingering positions for me mm -hmm. on top of my music. And I thought if, I was pretty sure I played better than him, though. <laughs> by, by, like, the second semester, I was sure I was already there. But yeah. um, but I couldn't read the music. And I was sure that if I, like, if I took his, if I took his chair, he wasn't, he wasn't going to write the music for me. So I was going to be screwed anyways. Yeah. But, yeah, but that's the story. Um, yeah. So when I got to college, mm -hmm. um, I had declared a different major. I was originally going to do philosophy and oh. biology those oh. those were my two original majors um and i love them both um i except i had a friend who was studying the stand-up bass mm -hmm. and her father was a professional stand-up bass player um and I just remember like coming home and doing my like philosophy homework and and listening to her like listening to her practice and thinking damn this is her homework like <laughs> she's playing all this awesome music yeah. and i'm stuck here like so this was you went to college up north i went to uh -huh. uh, yeah and so what was it like finally leaving like la and going up north i mean did that have like an influence on you mm. in in any way kind of like expanding your your mind or your your mindset about approaching the bass or music again Mm. Um, in terms like there was definitely a culture shock leaving Los Angeles being being a Latina in Los Angeles mm. hearing that you are part of a group that's a minority but looking around in Los Angeles and feeling like I feel like a majority here and moving to a place that was at the time um, at the time I, I want to say the city that I went to school at was it was 89.9% Caucasian. Mm. So I definitely was a minority there. Mm. Um, and that aspect, there was there was a there was a big culture shock as far as um, as far as like the influence on 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 studying and playing. The community was so much smaller. Um, the town that I went to school in only had a population of like 7,000 people. Mm. And that was including the university with 3,500 students. So the, mm -hmm. when the students weren't there over the summer, the, the town was like 3,500 people just about so the small like close-knit community um definitely was super supportive it wasn't like being in LA having to fight for a show or fighting for a spot it was like people people welcoming this in a type of like community oriented um type of way so mm. that was really nice that was yeah. that was super positive okay and then so continuing back to hearing your roommate play bass what well, then what happened um, it just, um, I think it was, I think I, the second semester I was like, well, you know what? I, I still have all my bass skills from the one year I played in high school. Maybe I can just play in like a beginning group or something. And I loved it so much. Again, it just seemed to be something that like brought so much joy into my life that 
I continued, um, I continued to play. I continued to, um, I joined like a beginning group and then it became like a, a little evident to me that I maybe my skills had kind of outgrown the beginning group. Mm. So I should try for an intermediate. Mm-hmm. And then I, I did that. And then eventually, and I played the advanced group the semester after that. And I was like, you know, I'm playing. I was a little self-conscious because I felt like I've started way too late to like, to be a music major, even though this is something that feels so good to me. And, um, and looking back at it, I think about the quote, um, what's that quote? Like, uh, do something you love for the rest of your life and you'll never have to work a day in your life. Is that, is that how it goes? Something like that. I've heard it. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. And, and that's basically what it was, uh, until I got to like, Oh, like some of my college friends will tell you about this. Um, and it wasn't just me. It's like once you get to theory four or um, or learning about music history, like the like antiquity to like medieval period. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Other than that, nothing really felt like work. It was like my my homework was to go home and just practice a lot of music. And that felt awesome wait so you uh changed your major or added a minor like what happened no i think what happened was after playing in a couple of groups and talking to a couple of people i'm like i think i can do this so i i think originally i was i dropped biology and then thought i could double major in philosophy and music and then eventually just all together I just dropped philosophy and I remember calling my dad to tell him about it Mm. I'm like hey dad guess what I finally changed like I did decide to change my major because for like any parent hearing about a kid doing philosophy it's like (laughs) where's the future in that right and he was so excited he's like yeah like what what did you change it to um and I was like music he's like oh lord I'm gonna support you for the rest of my life like he was he was he wasn't any more thrilled. Um, <laughs> he was like, but maybe there's more work in that. I don't know. Maybe but. he's thinking like mariachi, like maybe <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking, but um, yeah, I just know he wasn't very happy. Um, but yeah, what, I mean, in the end, I I was doing what was making me happy, right? And it mm-hmm. still does, and yeah. and sometimes I'm still amazed, like when my when my paychecks come home, I'm like, whoa somebody really paid me to like be here playing music with the kids or like teaching like you know it just it it feels like like I am I honestly have fun like there there's like the like the the bureaucratic part of teaching where like filling out paperwork and having conferences and and things like that that part's not as fun but yeah like the part that I spend the majority of my day in mm-hmm. where where I'm playing music with the kids or teaching them a new skill. That part, like to know that I'm getting paid for that, is still really surprising to me. So that yeah. that's the part that like I obviously like live for and work for. So okay, so um, before you got to that part, which you know you're so grateful for. So after college, you get 
certified to teach music, correct? Yeah. But then you you did another certification and ended up teaching some somewhere else. So the, the theme of this season uh, of the podcast is called Voyager. And many of our guests are transplants or immigrants. Mm. And in this case, it's like you kind of or I feel like you've kind of took certain steps to get to your final goal Mm -hmm. even I don't want to put words in your mouth maybe like a sidestep in this area Mm -hmm. of study Mm -hmm. um, and then you just kind of waited for an opening Mm -hmm. so then uh, please uh, take us back to the time where you got certifications but then you kind of taught something else like yeah yeah so I graduated um I graduated in 2009 with a bachelor's in music education Mm -hmm. um and obviously the goal is to teach music yeah um my my original idea was I'm gonna come back to the schools that didn't make music accessible for kids like me Kids of like low income families, like like that come from like immigrant backgrounds or whatever. I wanted, I wanted to work with like, um, I wanted to work with communities that were that were underserved because, and not because it sounds like I'm doing something charitable because that's literally that was my community, you know. Yeah. Um, and so. So it was a place, I'm not coming from a place of like theory, like, oh, I wonder what they're going through. I'm coming from a place, I already live this. I know what these kids need. I, or I, I can assume, I can more closely relate, I should say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyways, um, so in 2009, when I graduated, as you know, there was a recession during that time. Um and during my time in university, we would attend the, um, the, the music teacher conferences in California. And every year I started to notice that there were more and more teachers that were coming to the conferences with pink shirts. And mm. the reason they did this was to symbolize that they had been pink slipped. Uh, and the final year of the conference, like in 2008, mm. it was like... I want to say it was about like 20, I noticed it was about 20% of the conference, more or less. And I'm just giving you a number off the top of my head. I don't have statistics. I I just Wait. noticed a lot more people at the conference. So for our audience who doesn't know, what is a pink slip? And why would anyone, if it's a negative thing, show up to a conference with that pink shirt? Yeah, so a pink slip means that you, um, you're they're not going to bring you back to your job the following year. So like um, they've, they're basically, it's not firing you, um, but they, they don't have a position available for you for the following year. And the reason and why it's so common, it's because when there are budget cuts, the arts are the first place to go. That are the first things to go. Sorry. Um, and so the teachers were doing this, other music teachers at the music teacher conferences were doing this to just raise awareness, like, like to, they don't speak about it. How are we going to know? Right. So this was a very visual way for them to, to say like, my job's going, our music are like the music, the arts are in danger right now. Yeah. And for me, it just raised a lot of red flags. I like, as I mentioned before, my like, I didn't come from a background that like my parents didn't have money to pay for my education. Therefore, 
I had to take out loans or I had to work through college or whatnot. Um, I did have some scholarships, but it definitely wasn't enough to cover everything. And so I was just thinking to myself, like, what am I going to do if I can't, I, I studied to be a music teacher, but there are no more like music teaching jobs. And some of my friends, some of the people that I went to school with were like, oh, well, I'm just going to like teach guitar. Like I'll do private lessons. Some people were charging, some of my friends did follow through, were, were charging $10 an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, but then they went back to living with their parents and I'm just thinking, okay, like you're fine doing that because your parents paid for school, but I'm going to have like student debt. I'm not, I wasn't okay with going back to moving in with my parents. Mm -hmm. So I thought to myself, I need to think of a different alternative. Mm -hmm. And what I did then was, um, I got a, um, I ended up adding a second credential. So other than my music ed credential, I added a multiple subjects credential. I thought maybe I could do like a science credential since I love science so much. Mm -hmm. Um, But it seemed to me that the most opportunities I would have would be getting a multiple subjects because with a multiple subjects credential, you can teach anything, any subject in a self-contained class grades K through eight, Mm -hmm. which just broadened where I could work at the time Um, and, and today. And today, so um, so I added that and ended up teaching like basically every subject under the sun for a few years while I waited for this music position to open up. Now, um, I want to get back to that. But mm-hmm. now let's pause and step back to your journey in China. Like, um, yeah. Can you talk about when that happened? Were you still an undergrad or, um, yeah, because you still had, um, some musical influence with that and yeah. Tell us. Yeah. So, um, so when I graduated, I finished my credentials Okay. and I didn't want to get, um, I didn't want to go straight into the workforce because I thought to myself, like, once once I start working, then oh, I'm going to come up with like a trillion other excuses as to why I shouldn't leave the country. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to leave the country. Um, originally, I was looking to do and I didn't want to go, to be honest, I didn't want to do something through the Peace Corps because I had mm-hmm. um, I had volunteered I in in university. I led a program that provided free music lessons for people of like low income families. Yeah. Um, And I just had like volunteer musicians come in and I would pair them and they wouldn't charge like we wouldn't charge anything to 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 the kids. We'd go to places. We actually served a lot of kids in transitional homes um where their parents would lose their parents would lose their their custody no their living spaces so a lot of them were living in like these long-term motels Mm. and like the kids coming out to play music for an hour like an hour a week or whatnot seemed to be like the highlight of their day like Mm. got them away from the troubles that they had we went into schools similar to the similar to what was going on in the elementary school I grew up in. They didn't have um, they didn't have a music teacher at all in some mm-hmm. cases or a full time music teacher. So then my program would come into these schools and like as a part of the after school program, 
um, because we couldn't coordinate it during school. And then we yeah. would offer this as a like an extra elective. It was like the music class as well. And this was up north. This was up north. Yeah. Okay. So these were during the college days. Okay. And so um, so then I went on and got my credentials. And when I finished my credentials, I thought, I'm, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go abroad. Mm-hmm. And then when I come back, like... I knew that whatever it's the type of personality I have, whatever I do, I'm going to just like dive fully in. I'm I'm not. You're all or nothing. I'm all or nothing. (laughs) And I'm very, very like all all there, all present, giving all of my energy to it. And I knew that like I knew this is this is what I was going to do. And it's exactly what I'm doing right now. Therefore, before diving into that, I'm like, I'm just going to take a break and go somewhere else in the world um and my original plan was to go to west africa um to a place where i can practice um where i can practice french i was even like willing to do maybe north africa and i remember i was practicing french i got into a volunteer program that last minute had to cancel Mm -hmm. um like they had to cancel the program um and and the school i had done my student teaching at offered me a job it was a spanish um it was a spanish charter or spanish immersion charter school Mm -hmm. and they had offered me a job of being um their part-time music teacher and part-time i'm in the classroom teaching in spanish Mm. um which seemed like like a dream job if i wanted to stay in the town and i had to decline it and my professors were like like miss d what are you doing like this is this is an amazing offer yeah why are you turning this down this like incorporates like everything you want to do you'll be doing music you'll be at like the school you did your student teaching at like um like surrounded by this like really beautiful community that if i ever had kids i would take my kids to that school i would move back up north i love the sense of community that the school created but um but yeah but anyways um like, and I and I remember telling one of my professors who was who's um, like a huge globetrotter. He, mm-hmm. I told him, you know, I just have it set in my heart that I want to move to another country. Like I want to live. I want to live abroad, even if it's just for a year. And he told me, coincidentally, our sister school in Xi'an, China, um, has an opening and they're looking for a professor from our university to go but none of us can go. So the next best option is to send a credentialed teacher. Mm. Is this something you're open to? And I'm like, China? I like, I literally did not know a word of Chinese. Um, <laughs> and they offered me the job. I want to say it was like early June. And I left like the first week of September or something like that. So I had to get like my my TEFL certification and get all kinds of things done that I I didn't have any time to study Chinese until mm-hmm. like the only Chinese I studied was on the plane right there. And part of the contract read and the, the reason I accepted it was because I would it was a lecture um it was a lecture position but I would be one of the topics um that I would be teaching was American music. And I'm like, mm. perfect. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I'll be teaching a couple other things that I wasn't as excited about, but mm-hmm. I thought, okay, as long as there's some music, as long it's, as I'm doing a, something with music, it's a history, uh, a music history class or a theory or it was, it was music history. Okay. Yeah. Nice. It was music history. So yeah. Yeah. 
But so what was like a little bit of the syllabus you talk about like the Beatles or what? Yeah, so I tried what what I tried to relate was like the movements um like American movements as as they um as they pertain to music. So like for example, um we talked about like like um the Harlem Renaissance mm. and and the influence of like jazz music during that time. Mm. We talked about um and then what was happening in America during that time and how did music reflect what was happening. Mm. And so, so uh we talked about for example um protest songs and music mm. of the civil rights movement, right? Like mm -hmm. um uh yeah, like the influence of like Bob Dylan, for example. Yeah. Um, and then we moved on. Um, we moved on, and then and then we vaguely touched on how that's also a reflection within the art world, and it's also seen in the expression of like people. So, mm -hmm. I want to say the class was fun. Um, <laughs> I think the kids, and they weren't even kids; they were like nineteen years old. But, <laughs> I think they liked them. I had a lot yeah. of fun doing that. And mm -hmm. I still try to incorporate parts of that into what I'm teaching now to my group of students, yeah. even though they're much younger. But yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I'm just curious. I know China's super huge, but how do you think they perceive the importance of music in their life compared to maybe the community that you grew up in? Mm. Because um, like, I'll give you an example. Um I just know many Asian friends, like, like, um, and and classmates that I've had. It'll be like, duh, you'll play a sport and you'll take up either violin or piano, but you're mm. gonna be a doctor or engineer or something. Mm. So, like, music was was just a supplementary or very skill. secondary. Okay. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, I just wanted to know if you picked up on any kind of. Um, uh, clues and um, or cues and um, and yeah I mean was was that class like an elective and people the, the students who are going there just like really taking that class for fun or you know just anything I think the class um, it was part of a requirement but in the minds of the students as as is the case today in, in the public school that I teach at um, many, many of the students did not think it, it was as important as, as any of the other core classes, like, like English or math, for example. Mm -hmm. I have literally, and this didn't happen in China, this, ha this has happened here. I literally, I have emails from students that have told me, like, Ms. D, I am really sorry, but I couldn't get to your project or your homework or assignment or whatever. Yeah. I was too busy doing work for the important classes. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. And this is what you have to deal with when you teach an elective. I'm yeah. like, what well, do they know that my class weighs just as heavily on their GPA as like yeah. as any of the other classes? But I think this is like this is the idea. Um, this is the idea that maybe I don't know where it's coming from. Maybe it's parents are giving to the kids or or where they where they got this idea from. Yeah, I experienced that too when I um, long-term subbed for an art teacher. Mm. I got students who would come in and be like, oh, um, my math professor wanted to know if I can make up a test this period. And it's like, and I'm kind of thinking, 
you also have work to do in this class, mm-hmm. this period. Why don't you go during lunch mm-hmm. <laughs> or there, you know, whatever, um, conference hour mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, I mean, and it's, um, it, it happened a few times where I was just like other teachers of other subjects of non-art subjects are kind of supporting this idea uh-huh. that they well I mean yeah I, I can imagine just everyone having their own bias of like oh my subject is better there's that but then it's like <laughs> oh the music and the arts that's just you know an elective that's nothing serious that's mm. not a, a legitimate thing to study mm-hmm. um so yeah I definitely got that perception and um that was super annoying <laughs> and um yeah and you know even today um if they're gonna pull out a kid to make up um testing its administrators who are pulling them out of the elective classes yeah and and maybe that's also like reinforcing that idea oh this this one's just not as important um, you were just saying that you felt like, like it was a secondary, um, music and the arts was secondary importance in no matter what country you're in. Is that what you meant to say? Or, I mean, I've only taught, um, I've only taught music here in the States, specifically in California. Um, and and this like lecture course in China, but I did receive similar, um, similar experiences. And the reason, like the reason that I know for a fact that kids were, or that kids and mostly parents were thinking of the electives or of music specifically as like something that's really secondary is because I literally have taught with that multiple subject credential. I literally have taught, like every subject for the exception of art at my school. So I've taught English, I've taught science, I've taught PE, I've taught all of them. Um, And actually PE is another one that gets like a a similar, um, yeah, like a similar rep, which I feel like if you ask the kids what are their favorite classes, it's the ones where they get to move around like Mm -hmm. PE or they get to do something that's kinesthetic, like play an instrument, make noise, you know, Mm -hmm. like like draw things like disconnect like really use their creative their creative outlets rather than just like regurgitate information you know or mm-hmm. absorb and then like put back out so and i know the teachers are trying and our standards are trying to move away from that but essentially yeah. it's like it's it's what's happening in a lot of in a lot of classrooms. So I know that for the kids, like these are the topics that, that like the reason why kids, if excited at all to go to school, this is the reason why they're excited. They're like, yes, like other than seeing their friends, of course. Yeah. yeah. But if there's subjects that they're excited about, it's those, it's the ones where they get to move around and make the noise and yeah and whatnot. I actually just remembered what I was thinking of earlier. Okay. So um, it's about, music and arts importance in society and we just talked about how you know it was deemed kind of like an elective secondary auxiliary to you know if if maybe like an asian student wanted to be like um an engineer or a doctor or whatever mm-hmm. and um so i also feel that it's because at least in my perception that stem 
has such a huge importance um, in the eyes of administration or just mm-hmm. or or just um, people in society, decision makers in you know city councils, mm-hmm. you know because they need people in the future to build these bridges or to make this innovative technology, mm-hmm. and um, it's not very often that they view the arts and other humanities importance to um, kind of healing mm-hmm. the the minds and hearts of people. And I think it's very important. Um, it's not recognizing yeah. that the, in, like, the holistic self of the individual. Mm-hmm. It's just like the parts that are productive and that can, can produce, basically, yeah. produce something that in the end will will in one way or another have like like monetary profit is yeah. what it seems like to me you yeah know? and so with that oh sorry go ahead oh no and i was just going to mention um recently they have changed the acronym of stem um to include steam to include the arts which is now steam yeah. yeah and all the time you'll hear like superintendents or principals talking about all the cool programs that their schools offer and they still just continue to say stem mm-hmm. um even though they're supposed to incorporate the arts into that now so yeah going back to maybe administrators or any other kind of decision makers having that emphasis of stem rather than steam um it you it kind of like forces a commodification of students being future workers to work in STEM and that um, it devalues the importance of art. And so then what happens is over time, uh, parents, as we mentioned earlier, have to allocate their time, funding and resources um, to uh, how much they're willing to, to give um Johnny or whoever um lessons or how much time you know they they want to invest time and money they want to allow their child to invest in that mm-hmm. instrument and so then you get them to a point then it gets to a point where if they are able to take a class or get lessons the parent wants to know like it's it's down to the pocketbook and their time and resources like okay are they talented then let's keep doing this are they not then they'll just do soccer only whatever so and um it raises the um, the um ultimate uh, age-old question of is my child talented so i would like to know i've asked three other people on this podcast, what is your definition of talent and what do you tell parents when they ask you a derivative of that question? I haven't, I'm trying to think if I've actually had someone ask me that question before. I don't think so, but... Take your time. <laughs> yeah, and thinking about, is my, did, did you ask, was the question, what is talent? Is that what you asked? Well, yeah, the heart of it is, what is talent? Um... But hypothetically, a, about a parent coming in, wanting to know the value of art mm-hmm. and if it's worth it, if it's if it's worth it for them, to, for their child to be invested in it. Well, as a music teacher, I'm obviously going to say 
I'm obviously going to say, yes, it's worth it. And in fact, um, the only bulletin board that I have up in my classroom is a bulletin board that lists like over 40 reasons why kids should be playing music. Like I think it's titled Why Music? And I, I'm yeah. listing like like um, like the social benefits, the emotional benefits, the intellectual benefits, etc. So of course they're always going to like my answer will always be like Yes, it's worth it. Yeah, this is, but, um, you know, Juan sounds so terrible practicing the clarinet at home. Like, you know, or I don't know if a parent will ever be that direct. <laughs> but um, but you know what I mean? It's just like, uh, but Juan really wants to practice the clarinet. But the parent just think, as we mentioned earlier, parents mm -hmm. just think it's a phase or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So how... Um, if and when that question arrives, like, what do you think is talent? Um, can can anyone and everyone play, no matter how the perception of them, whether it's self perception or others' perception of them being bad at it, yeah. or not, or not improving as as fast as their peers? So something. Um, something that my bass instructor in university told me was that that a great musician is comprised of 10% talent and 90% practice. And so even if you are born without the talent, because I think the idea of where talent lies, it's like something that a person has a natural, like a natural gift at. Um, whether, whatever it may be, you know, that I think that's the idea that comes to mind when we think of someone who is talented, mm -hmm. but I think that talent can be acquired. I think sometimes we have hidden talents that we don't know of and judging whether Juan could play is playing the clarinet poorly after just playing for like a few weeks is not an accurate way for us to really sum up whether or not Juan is talented. Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that, and, and I'll explain, I have, I have had, um, I could explain something like, for example, there was a time where we couldn't speak. We had to practice at this. And if you've ever learned an, a second, another, another language, then you know, like, Sometimes you sound funny and people laugh at you mm -hmm. and you have to get through that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you have to get through that phase in order to be able to speak. There was a time I couldn't communicate in English. You know, English is not my mother tongue. Mi primer idioma es español, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like there was a time when I spoke English and I I mixed up like like subjects and verbs and and what and I just I sounded weird to not like to native speakers. But I practiced and it's like I would I'm I'm just as fluent, if not even maybe more fluent than Spanish at this point. Mm. So practice makes perfect. And I'll and I'll say that to the kids. We all had to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like the first time I made a sound on my instrument, it sounded like a dying whale, you know? <laughs> and it's like and actually something that I do with my students, the first time they make a sound on their instrument, I record it. And my kids do like um, they'll do like weekly flip grids and they're they watch their growth throughout the mm. year. So we hear the first sound and the first sound is into like <laughs> it's not it's not the most pleasing to the ears. Yeah. But we all have to start somewhere. 
yeah we all have to start somewhere so yeah i would i would definitely say like give it time but it's it's not just time it's like this this um like the saying of like good things come to those who wait i don't believe that at all i believe like good things come to mm. those who put in the work for it like and yeah, maybe there is patience that has to come with that. But there's also hard work that lies behind that. Like, I can't just like lie next to my clarinet for two years and then two years later, I'm going to be better. You know, mm -hmm. it's yeah. like the daily practice of it, like anything else. Yeah. But. Yeah. And um, beautifully said. Uh, and now that you are a music teacher, how long have you been teaching music? This is my second year. So okay. my first year got interrupted by the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and actually, I had such big plans for that for that first like group of students. It was it was the first time my school was going to compete um, was going to compete in a in a festival um, in twenty two years. Yeah. So I was I was prepping my kids for that. It's my goal that maybe eventually one day maybe we'll. We'll play at Disneyland um, mm -hmm. and be able to do more shows, um, a lot more shows than what, what we were doing. Yeah. But that got interrupted, um, I think, two weeks before we played the festival. Okay. Um, we had uh, the, the quarantine came. And, and so everything I have taught from that point on, and it's now March again, hello. Um, so one year later, we've been teaching, we've been doing distance or teaching virtually so um so everything i've been doing up to this point for the last year has been through a computer which is not what i would have envisioned my first two years of teaching music yeah. but i mean we're all doing the best the best we can with what we got right now so yeah i mean you were always someone who was very resourceful and persevered no matter what um you put your mind to and on that note, I read this um, magazine article that you were in that featured you, mm -hmm. and um, it was it was brilliant. It talked about how hard you worked and determined you were to get funding for uh, music instruments for your students. And one thing that it mentioned, this article mentioned, that you. Uh, you build things, you like to build something from nothing. Mm. And uh, I, I believe there was this paragraph that talked about how that you were doing this play and, um, you know, there was no stage, there was no dramatic arts program and you used uh, milk crates. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so first I should just state... Um, I've always loved clubs. I loved clubs at school, like all extracurricular activities. I think it was also like if I went home, my mom was just going to make me do chores and do homework. Like she didn't <laughs> let me do like my own thing. And there wasn't, mm -hmm. she was like that type of like that, that Mexican mom that if she sees a kid lying down, it's because <laughs> they don't have enough work. So mm. therefore you got to get up and do work. Yeah. And I just thought like, ugh, I could be home like washing dishes or I could be at school like doing really cool things. So I joined like every club I possibly could. Um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved that. And when I got, 
when I started teaching at the school I'm at now, um, I didn't think there was enough clubs for the kids. There were some, there were some, um, but definitely not as many as I think the kids needed. So I'm like, well, I'll just start a few clubs. And I, the first year I was there, I was tutoring a lot of, um, a lot of the Chinese students who had just arrived to the States and didn't Mm. have, um, and didn't have like the base of English um, to be able to communicate. So at first I was staying with them during my lunch break. And then eventually I started a club after school mm. for them. And I actually did that for about three years with with them. And we eventually called it the Culture Club. And like put <laughs> cool. on during during Spring Festival, we did the um, we did a festival for the whole school. Um, where we like we were teaching them like different aspects of like Chinese culture, mm-hmm. and I event I wanted to grow that and and do more with it until they brought a teacher on campus that was specifically designed for the e like the ELD t- students, mm-hmm. um, the English language developing um, students. So when she came, I was like, well, I have nothing else to do, and and I love acting. Um, I actually have a minor in theater arts as well. And I oh, love whoa. I love being on stage. Um, and I wanted to give that to the kids too. So I started a little club. Um, I put up some posters. I was like, let's see who's interested. And a ton of kids showed up. I had like 70 students at my door. I couldn't even fit them. I had like 35 seats in my class. Oh, so wow. there was twice as many kids. I was not expecting that kind of turnout. And the first year, there was only, um, like, the kids that made it all the way to the end. I think there was only, like, 13 of them. Because um, everyone was interested. But then when they heard its work, they were like, ah, forget it. You know, by, like, the second <laughs> meeting, we had, like, 20 kids. And they were like, I have to memorize things. I have to what? I thought it was just, like, we were just going to come and be goofy, you know? <laughs> and I would I would love to do something like that, like, improvisation, like improv or whatnot. But, mm-hmm. um Anyway, so so the first year we decided to just do something really simple and just did Romeo and Juliet because everybody they had just studied this they had mm. just studied the play in their English classes, right. um, and and I was like, where are we gonna perform? And we realized there there had actually there was a stage that hadn't been used in fourteen years, and it hadn't mm. been used in so long that um, the fire marshals came by, saw the curtains. Um, saw the stage curtains, realized how dusty they were. They said it was a fire hazard. Mm. So they can either pay to clean them out. Excuse me. They could pay to clean them and then put fire retardant on them, which mm. was going to cost the school like $700. Or they could just remove them and toss them out. And the principal did this the summer before I started my drama club program. So now there was a stage that was filled. They had used for storage. Wait, sorry. So the principal did what? Throw the, throw the curtains out. Okay. Yeah, and so we didn't have curtains for that um, for that show or for any of the shows we did. Um, so he threw out the curtains, and it was exposing that the stage had been used for the last fourteen years as a storage space. There was like copy paper. There was, and even when we performed, the the they couldn't clear out everything. They didn't know where to put it because it was mm. just so filled with stuff. So we were performing on like three quarters of a stage, and the other part was like 
stuff that had accumulated <laughs> for many, many years. And I think that people thought like we weren't going to be too serious with this. Mm. So like, and I honestly didn't know where to find resources. Like I didn't know how to advocate for my program as, as well as I do now. Um, so I was like, okay, you guys, we have a stage and we have our will to act Let's just make the best of what we got. We needed pillars, and I saw some crates that were filled with milk. I asked the cafeteria lady if we could use them. We put them up, put some butcher paper. The kids painted over them. There was yeah, no like, mic. Cafeteria lady is the hero. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we put up a, we we put on a play, and the kids loved it. And I feel those are the memories that they will never forget. They will never forget in their lives. These memories of like. I was once on stage. I was Juliet once. I was Ro- whomever, you know, yeah. like, um, and and so <laughs> the the kids loved it. They came back the following year. We had a bigger following. Um, they ended up writing their own their own Harry Potter script. I let them choose, and then we were able to get some funding um, that second year and put on and put on like a like what I thought was like. A badass. Can I say badass on yeah, here? Okay. You can cuss. A badass like play. Um, mm-hmm. we had like I I think I knew what to ask for then and I asked parents. Um, I like I wasn't asking for compensation or anything. I was staying there. We had rehearsals. Originally our rehearsals were just on Wednesdays for the first quarter, and then they moved to Wednesdays and Thursdays. And as we got closer to the show, it was Wednesday. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And again, I'm not I wasn't asking to get paid or anything. I literally was doing this because I wanted like I love I love the creation from nothing to something. Mm-hmm. One, two, to give kids this experience. And I just love plays in general, you know? Like <laughs> um, and so yeah, so that was that was the purpose of that. And so I'm at, I'm telling parents, look like I'm doing all of this on my behalf, like while still teaching a full load, like most teachers that do this are drama teachers. Like this is their job, you know, they have a period with the kids every day. And I'm like, I just need you to help me in some kind of way. Like if, if you're handy, come help me build stuff on stage. If like, if you can sew, then help us with this. If you can do hair, if you can't do like anything else, like hold the lights or bring lunch for the kids on one of the afternoons that were here mm-hmm. or something, you know, like, and so getting all these parents together who were eager to have their kids perform, we were able to put everything together. And it, I think it turned out so great. Like I was so proud of my kids. I was so proud of my kids seeing like seeing that play come to life and seeing how hard they worked made like made me feel like, like I have so much hope in humanity because like our future <laughs> is in the hands of these kids who will not give up, yeah. who will be creative, who will be resourceful like mm-hmm. that. And that was so inspiring to me. Wow. That's um, you're inspiring me. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. And um, you know, in, in this article uh, you persevered through another potential obstacle um, about funding um, instruments for your students. Now I'll just kind of like let you tell the story. Yeah. So um, I had only done the drama club for two years and I already like after how successful everything, everything was um, with that second like Harry Potter performance, 
I was so excited to keep going and had more ideas and had actually also pitched um, the idea to the principal that I could do drama club as a six period. Mm. Um, and then that way I see my kids every day and we could even do more plays. I, I was excited to do that. Yeah. Keep it and, going. Yeah. yeah. Keep it going. And I, and I'm just thinking originally, um, originally I, like my goal staying at the school that I that I'm at now was I was waiting for the music teacher to retire so I can move into his position. And I was like the last one to find out he was retiring. Like <laughs> when I moved into the school or when I got the job, I went to the music teacher and I was mm-hmm. like, hey, like, like I also have music credentials. I know you're about five years <clears throat> from like retirement, but I just want you to know I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. I'm going to stay here and yeah. wait this out and, and just let me know when you're getting close to it. So I can start prepping a little bit more for this. Okay. And, um, and uh, wait, so just, um, I, I think it's helpful for me and just anyone else who might be listening, who's into education mm-hmm. because um, I'm in a program too. And I, I joked about um, to one of my professors in, in my classes, like especially for the field that I'm studying, that um, that there's a scarcity of positions, at least right now. But he assured me that there'll be a time where a lot of them are retiring. And then I mm-hmm. joked around and I was like, well, I guess I should choose a school where you know, there's a good likelihood of them retiring. And then I was joking. I was like, oh, I have a plan. I'll just go to the school's website, <laughs> look at the pictures. <laughs> and then my professor was like, and see who's old. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And it, it was funny. He had a good um, good sense of humor about it. And um, yeah, and I, I hear that, you know, obviously if they, you know, look a bit old on the older side that maybe you have an idea but from what I gather when people retire unless they're actually like boasting about oh I can't wait to retire and go off to Fiji or whatever but for the most part I get this sense that like retire when you retire is like a secret because they don't want you know um maybe like certain administrators to know like what what's the deal with that? You know, it's really interesting because I I really don't know if it's a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. I see, and I'm starting to see the, a pattern now that I've been in like the public school system for eight years. Um, I'm starting to see like a pattern. Like certain teachers are talking about it like years ahead, and they're already starting to prep like the their predecessors it's like Mm. i'm going to be retiring in three years and i have this really cool club and i and i know you will be perfect and i want you to take over this club when i leave the school and it's like okay so i I, i'm seeing that and then you you def there's everything you know i mean in the end it's like teachers are still people and then there's the ones that they're so excited. They're like, they're lit. They'll come to conferences or, or staff meetings. And they're like, I can't wait to retire next year. And not have to deal with this BS, you know, like, so they're yeah. very vocal about it. And then there's those like, like I have literally shown up on the first day of school and we're like, where's Mrs. N? And they were like, oh, we got a note. She actually retired. We're like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> I was her friend. She didn't tell. Like, we would eat lunch yeah. every day together in, like, her room. And she didn't say a thing. And so yeah. um, 
I I don't know if if that was the case, um, but with with this um with this teacher but i'm just thinking he knows i'm here waiting for his job and i had to hear <laughs> i was actually planning to go to italy for the summer um and i had to cancel that trip yeah when he told when i found out from a student in may he uh, the student was like hey hey miss d like like mr d told us that that you're gonna be our music teacher next year and i'm like <laughs> what like <laughs> No, because, like, he's still working. He was like, oh, no, he let us know. Like, he told us he's retiring. I'm like, what? And I stormed into his classroom, like, during nutrition. I'm like, you're retiring? And you told the kids before you tell me? Like, I had to find out, how long have you known? Like, I have a flight booked to Italy, you know, which I still could have left and been really, really irresponsible and just, like, party on a beach in the Mediterranean. I don't know how much partying I was going to do. I, I was probably going to read a lot of books. But yeah. anyways... Um, but I canceled that and stayed to do like inventory, get my classroom ready, all that stuff. So yeah. that's how that happened. I I love that uh, side story, and um, it was your your time to take over the music class. And I just wanted to know because because I'm sure um, there might be a listener out there who, whether you know it's another teacher or just someone who has had any kind of hopelessness of buying their first guitar or their first digital audio workstation um, where getting resources uh, or, or funding their um, workstation or project, it seems a little out of reach. So um, can you take us to that time where you funded uh, the instruments for your students? Well, the instruments haven't arrived yet, so... There were no instruments. The what? There were no instruments or what? Oh, I see. Um, No, the instruments that I'm teaching with now are the same instruments that the previous teacher used. Okay. And, um, And the classroom that I'm in is the smallest music classroom in the district. It used to be a kindergarten class. Mm. And I think that's possibly the reason why this teach the previous teacher didn't fight or didn't work or didn't ask for more instruments, um, because there's not many places to house them in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had the smallest inventory of instruments of any other and of any of the other uh, music classes in our district. Because yeah. I think that's primarily why. But I'm just trying to get really creative with the space, clearing out as much as I can. And so um, basically we had one set of band instruments and one set of orchestral instruments. Um, And uh, we call it beginning orchestra, but it's not a full orchestra. It's just a string orchestra. So, Mm -hmm. um, So it's violin, viola, cello, and bass. And a lot of those instruments were really defective. The previous teacher, um, he was really good at like, um, he was really good at these like, like these uh, little repairs that I've realized like the, being a music teacher um, has a lot of this. Um, it's it's a lot of like mechanics and fixing and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and which what's really interesting when when and a lot of schools don't even do this while they're giving you the music credential. They don't even take you through a course where how to fix or a how to fix instrument course. My school did 
something and it was a really short one. It, it I think we spent like god, it was like an hour on each instrument max. It was like the the shop um like the 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 shop repair person for the music de- for the music department came in and he would show us like his little tricks very quickly. He's like, if there's a leak on a clarinet, this is what I do. But like there wasn't, everyone has their own clarinets. You practice. Hey, did I do it right? Let's try it. Like we literally just watched him do this on all the instruments. And so at least there was some background. I know some of the music teachers that got started and went through their credentialing program didn't even have a course where they're teaching you how to repair. And it's such a big part, at least when you're teaching middle school, it's such a big part, like mm-hmm. having to constantly repair, um, repair the instruments. Um, so, so yeah. So anyways, a lot of the instruments were in, they, they were in a very interesting condition. A lot of things that like a lot of parts that were like soldered together that weren't, I'm not sure were supposed to be there. I'm actually very sure they weren't supposed to be there. <laughs> um, some of the instruments that barely made any type of music um, or any type of noise. Um, yeah. And the, the, just the condition was very questionable. Um, and so I asked for more instruments um, and, And amongst my six classes, I only had two sets of instruments. So like, for example, in my band class, I only had four saxes and I had four sax players. So if one of my saxes stopped working, I had a kid who was just there not doing anything. And and how can I teach him in like the middle of the semester? I'm like, I think like I can switch you over to let's see what other instrument I have available. Oh, I have one tuba left. Can I just move you over to a tuba? And for a seventh grader, that's like death. Like, oh, wow, it took me so long to figure out the sax. And now you're going to move me here. Like I should have that little cushion room to... To, okay, I have an extra instrument, but with four saxes, like there wasn't much I could do, you know. So um, it was the same thing with the clarinets, um, violins. I had plenty, but it was the same thing with the violas. And so the number of instruments that I had was very limited. Um, and I still have, except that now that we're at a distance, not all the kids are playing. I'm not allowed to like give a kid who has not played with me before I can't just give them an instrument and be like well we'll figure it out over zoom and hopefully you're turning on your camera so I could see that you're actually tuning correctly and not snapping a string every time you know or I can't hand them over like a $1,500 saxophone and Mm. and pray that pray that they're turning on their cameras when it's time to to play so um so my beginning kids don't have instruments this year which is allowing me time to slowly go in and repair the instruments that were there, but I still don't have enough. So that's um, that's when um, the article that was published. Did I say when? No. Okay. Um, that's when the when the article that was published about like the experience of being a music teacher um, with with limited resources, I think, really helped to push my district um, because they saw, oh, like this are like this is something that the music teacher has been asking for. And now the public knows and it's getting a lot of public attention. Therefore, um, like, I think they got their like act together. And then it was really interesting because I had been asking just for little things like 
like I wanted a whiteboard um, and then they like they were giving me the runaround on who was going to give me a whiteboard. My kids didn't have music chairs and I asked them for some chairs. They're like, we don't have the budget for it. Like real basic stuff. I definitely wasn't going to go in and ask them for a $1,500 sax. Like, yeah. So j just so I can understand, the article came out and then it spread. Uh-huh. And then you got a call that like the evening, next day. That oh, okay. evening, the evening the article was published, I got a call. Um, and, and basically they were telling me to make them a list of all the things I needed. And that they were going to find a way to fund it, and eventually, wow. and I and I want to say that this that this is something that they had in the works to fully fund all the music programs, because the money was there. They didn't just come up with the money because the article mm -hmm. came out. I know the money was there, just um, allocating the money to where the money should have been in a timely fashion was not, mm -hmm. or in like in a time that we were promised. So when I started with the program in 2019, there was a lot of promises and there was a like a grant that had come through for the arts and they said, well, you, everyone's going to get instruments. So I waited and a year, like a few months into teaching, I didn't even have repair money. Some of the instruments were like broken beyond anything that that I could fix. And eventually, and I was taking them into a music shop to get them professionally repaired and eventually they told me like your school's not paying for this and we're not going to cover you so if you want these instruments you got to pay for them out of your own pocket I paid over a thousand dollars of my own money to get these instruments out because I thought what else am I going to do you know like mm. I only have like these are my only like six clarinets and if one goes I have a kid who just sits there you know like mm. um and so either he gets his he gets the instrument and I, or like, I can't just have him sit there. That was not an option for me. So I'm still waiting to see if that money is going to get um, reimbursed. I, I hope it does. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of little things. And like I told you before, as I've taught every other subject, every other subject it, with every subject. And this is like, this is part of what I think like, like, scare some people from education because the thing that brings us here is we all want to make a difference in these kids lives this is all why we get like nobody goes into education and like puts themselves like thousands of dollars in debt and goes through all that schooling just like nobody's doing it for the money you know or nobody's yeah. doing it for the fame or whatever we all do it because we're, we're like we care about the kids um and so and with with all all the subjects I have taught in all of them, I've had to invest like some of my own money or some of my own time or some of like, and, and note, I'm using the word some and not such a huge amount of, um, like I've never, I've never experienced. And yes, and it has been eight years in public school since that I've taught. Plus the two years in China makes this 10 years of teaching. And I've never had to give so much to to get a program like going and and I guess I should rephrase this and say I've never felt like uh, such little I hate to say this but honestly such little support for an effort that I know that I'm not doing for my own benefit but for the benefit of the kids and I was just really shocked to find that out I'm like whoa like I if I ever needed like 
like more equipment for PE when I taught PE they made it happen you know when I needed like microphones for my drama class or my drama club they made it happen mm. when I needed whatever it is I needed you know like I I wanted to have a class pet for my science class mm. and yeah. you know like they made it happen like everything everything felt so much more accessible and then I come to teach music the last subject of all the subjects I could have taught at that middle school and and then I literally just asked for chairs I'm like like these chairs are not like they're these are not appropriate chairs for my kids to be playing in. like can we just like I'm not even asking you for like like all the many thousands of dollars that you would need to spend on proper instruments hmm. I just want like good chairs you know or like yeah and they said there was no money and I'm like I was just really baffled I was just really baffled and I understand um I do understand that like on the administrative level there is like certain like hoops that they also need to jump but I was just I don't know it just it was it was really shocking it was really shocking to see um to see that um and to see that it was specifically something that was like denied to the arts mm-hmm. yeah I mean um yeah it's it's unfortunate the as we mentioned earlier the arts and music when there are budget cuts those are the first programs to go mm-hmm. And, um, but luckily you did a GoFundMe and then the article came out and then they asked you to, um, create a list of what you needed. And so at this point where you are, where are you with that right now? Um, as far as I, I I actually think, so the list was made Mm -hmm. and, um, and in this month, um, it is going to board it is going to the board to be approved. Um, and uh, and if it gets approved, the instruments will be ordered and they will be here mid-July. So like if if you can add like in the background of this, like like huge applause and, and people <laughs> cheering because yeah. that's such that's such a success story. It's just like yeah. we can't move forward with anything until we have these basic necessities, you know. Right. So yeah. so um, that's the first step. That's the first step of where we're at. Yeah. As someone who cares about education and 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 hopefully this creates awareness about what music teachers have to go through, that parents, the students have to advocate uh, and the parents have to advocate the importance of these programs. So um, I guess what I'm asking is that um, awareness of these struggles is important or... Uh, I mean, definitely. I don't, I don't know if people like people always assume that teachers are, that teachers are working hard and they're underpaid. Even the kids know that the kids say that they're <laughs> like, teachers don't get paid a lot and they have no idea how much we make. We really don't make a lot. Um, but, but they'll, they'll, um, they'll shout things out like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if they realize like the specifics of it. And honestly, one of the things that I found out um, and this was an advice that I got from a retired teacher. And he said, he said, Miss D, like, I know your type of personality. And I know that, like, you're, you're going to want to, like, you're going to want to give this your all. Like, you always do. Mm-hmm. But I want you to, like, I want you to draw the line 
between like like where work ends and where the rest of your life begins. He he let me know this is not a statistic I've looked up. Um, it just it, it kind of shocked me because I, and I think I didn't look it up because I thought I'm never going to fall under this category. He said that music teachers have the highest rate of divorce and um, mm. of alcoholism of mm. all educators because. Mm. There's a lot of stress and I and I can attest to this because I have taught all those other subjects that I have never I've never had a job that was as time consuming as as a music as this music job. Um, and again, I'm doing this because the rewards are yeah. the rewards for me are worth it, you know, but it's like the school day ends and you have like I have sectionals with my students mm-hmm. um then there's rehearsals there's competitions mm-hmm. there's concerts at the time I did my very first concert December of 2019 with the students um with the students at the school I'm at um I had actually had food poisoning and hadn't eaten in like three days mm-hmm. um so I'm showing and and it took and I was at school for 14 hours because the only day I was able to have the concert was on a school day. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm prepping all these, I'm prepping all the kids. We had a rehearsal the day before. This was two days without eating for me. I couldn't keep anything down, like anything, nothing, nothing. My body had had nothing. So like I was depleted of energy and I'm in this room and I made the terrible rookie mistake of having one concert one winter concert for all my classes like i think and and i'm never gonna do this again Uh, i could have done like strings one day and like Mm -hmm. band or like like wins the next day or something like that something to spread it out or beginnings and advanced or whatever you know the like something to divide it instead i had all at the time i had like 240 students and i was the only teacher plus all of their parents like there was literally it was in a gym full of like over 500 people mm-hmm. and i was the one trying to navigate everything who's coming in who's taking pictures where are people sitting like i was a rookie you know and again it's like yeah. and i did ask for help i i was ex- i was there i saw yes <laughs> yes oh my god that's right oh my god i'm sorry that day was such a blur that day was like that was one of the most like hectic things i had ever done it was i I, I was so stressed out. And I think also just like my body wasn't like fully functioning from so many days of not eating that oh, I went home and I was done. I was so done. But it's it's um it's that I don't even know if I answered your question. Again. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, I was asking how important it is to raise awareness of how much you have to fight uh, to to get funding as a music teacher mm. So you did answer the question, um, but you, you brought up something else. I thought that was really interesting that music teachers are susceptible to divorce and alcoholism because of this stress. And, um, you know, looking back, um, not so much my in my formative years, you know, middle school or high school was OK, but in college, um, I have seen conductors um break batons throw them i've heard of you know that same conductor throw chairs and um i've also heard stories of just teachers you know throwing stands and uh you probably have a story here or there and so not yeah. 
One who yeah. threw a stand-up bass across the room and broke the bass in half in front of all the students. I, I've seen that too. So, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I don't. Is... I don't know if it was from the stress or something personal that was going on in mm-hmm. their lives, but yeah, I think where you're getting at is just like, like so much emotion maybe a lot more emotion yeah than, than other teachers right well the thing is is like i can i don't know how much batons cost but it doesn't seem that expensive maybe like <laughs> like the um They're couture about- batons might be more expensive but like a base that's like thousands of dollars right there i don't know uh, what in anyone's mind they work so hard to um, gather funds for their program you know get instruments for their students would be so mad to throw and break a base it kind of baffles me you know yeah. I mean it's either that teacher was just insane or it is really stressful so I don't I, know I mean it I, it definitely takes a certain kind of person to even want <laughs> to like to go to be a teacher. Period. We're, yeah, we're a certain type. Yeah, um, I know <laughs> definitely. But but um, but to be a music teacher, it's like it's not only like the wanting. It's also there's something you gotta have like to go along with this as well. And it's it's. More than just like this perseverance of getting resources, it's like the multitasker, the the somebody who can deal with a lot of like um like uh, social. What am I? What what word am I looking for? Um, the community or I'm building community is a part of it. Yeah, and like something I've heard from other music teachers is like you almost become like the face of the school. Um, because you're the one that's going out and like performing so often that kids may recognize your face more than they recognize who the principal may be, mm-hmm. you know, because um, because you're the one at all the shows. You're the one who's like up there conducting, um, conducting and 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 leading these kids. So, yeah, yeah, um, it definitely takes a certain type of personality to be a teacher and a music teacher. Um, it's so much of a time commitment. Um, and then often because you're, it's a lot of the activities are outside of normal school hours. You know, um, you get to spend a lot of time with the kids and, um, in a way, do you find yourself like parenting some of them or just kind of, helping them in personal ways yeah I think that that's like the unspoken part of the job just as a teacher I I remember somebody asking me like what does my day look like um and and it's I think it's a lot more interesting now that the kids have like they have an instrument in their hands it's (laughs) like um it's doubled the excitement Mm -hmm. just because there's so much more that can go wrong to be honest um but but they're 
there is like like it looks so, like something a little bit like this if like if i was like in front of like a chalkboard for example i'm explaining the lesson i'm turning around and i'm hearing somebody i'm like Johnny, don't like, don't touch Susan. Like, Karen, you're holding that wrong. I'm coming to the back to check. Like, mm -hmm. like you have to be able. If you can't multitask, don't get into this profession. That's like, put that in all caps. If there's gonna be a video or something, like, do not. <laughs> you have to be like a phenomenal multitasker to do this because mm. there's just so much. Like, you're you're the nurse, you're the therapist, you're the mom, you're mm -hmm. like. And then at the end of the day, you're the educator. Like once all those other needs are met, then you can teach. Okay. So, so. in that case, is the music, not necessarily the pieces. I'm not talking about specific pieces, but um, is music healing your students? I hope so. Are you a healer? Oh, that is such a sweet way to think about it. I don't... I don't know. I I don't know. That's like I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> I don't know why like I it this like it gets it it things like this, you know, like touch me, you know. Mm -hmm. Um and I think maybe it's cuz you've experienced like the benefits of music, right? It's like you've made I've a had, life out of this. Well, definitely for sure. I've had really good music teachers like Yay. really good all the way until college and i've had horrible ones too so <laughs> i have no like assholes so i i have mixed feelings okay. and um and i have my own like psychological trips about that mm -hmm. but um yeah like the the arts are healing modalities and mm -hmm. people that have that come into this profession like yeah there is a certain type of personality it's a calling it's a duty um you know it's, and if you last in it for a certain amount of time um yeah it's in a way you are a healer you are mm -hmm. staying with Juan after school <laughs> to like the late hours because whatever his parents are like really late to pick him up Mm -hmm. You know, so things like that. But anyways, um, you know, yeah. I, I have felt um, like, for example, I in moving around and all the other contents that I taught, I was finally able to stay um, in one of those for because what they did with my multiple subjects credential was wherever like a teacher couldn't like fill a position they'd fill me in there so sometimes I was teaching like my first year I think I taught I had six different preps six different classes six different preps mm -hmm. so it's like I was never teaching the same thing it was just and I I remember how difficult it was and I was thinking to myself they're just testing me they're just testing me like they're trying to see if I can make it through this first year and then next year like it's going to be much easier. I just have to pass this test. Mm -hmm. It was it was a lot of surviving at that point. And I kind of feel like that's where I'm at now. Um, there, it's, it's a lot more like I haven't fully mastered that like art of teaching music specifically. Like the way you're like the way I where I'd like to be. The, like I would love to call myself a healer. But at the moment it's like a year and a half in or mm -hmm. two years and one year spent in quarantine, I don't think I can, I have mastered something enough to, to be able to 
to heal someone through it. But I would love to get to that point. I And I felt that I have gotten to that point in other subjects. Like mm. I taught science for three years and it just, it felt so good to, to have like, like I knew the year before everything that I was going to be teaching the year after. And I was able like, like it, it was something that I just had down. I just had down. And I don't now. It's like I taught for a few months. I'm figuring out all the like new logistics. And then bam, we go into quarantine, figure out some more things. Yeah. You know, so a lot of this is like me still trying to make the best with what I got. Yeah. And I hope that with what I I have been giving them, kids are finding like like they're finding an escape of nothing else. They're finding like a like like a happy reason to turn on their computers you know um but but um I definitely I would love to come back like in a few years and be like yes like I am that healer I have mastered this I have it (laughs) I have it so down but I'm not there yet yeah I mean um I think with teachers if things don't go well a certain year they always go oh I'll just do something. I'll do blah, blah, blah next year. There's always like that next year that you look forward to. Okay. So um, we're about to wrap up. However, um, just want to ask a couple other things. What's um, in store for you? What's coming up? Um, So the first step, once we go back and get those instruments in everyone's hands, um, I'd like to move... I'd like to move to starting some like some more um, some more programs after school, like maybe doing like like a little jazz group um, and then eventually like the long term goal. I would like um, my school is primarily comprised of students of a Latino background. But the second um, the second ethnic group after that is Chinese. Mm. So I would like to offer like music that is more culturally relevant. Mm. And that is my long term goal. I think like I can't even think of that right now until all the basic needs are met. If my kids don't have instruments, if I don't have all the supplies, et cetera, which we're working on, we are working on getting all that done. And so once that happens and I have a good flow of that, um, then I want to bring in a mariachi is the first thing. Um, Or I want to create that for the kids. And mind you, um, our feeders don't play music. So the first time a kid has touched an instrument is in the seventh grade because we don't even have an elective in the sixth grade. Mm. So these kids, so I I only have them for two years and there's only so much that can be done in two years. Mm -hmm. So are they going to sound like... Like the mariachis that you hear out in Mariachi Plaza? Probably not. But they're going to get the concept. They're going to get to feel like they're a part of a part of a group maybe playing music that like they were cleaning the house too because this is what their mom played in the background, you know, or mm-hmm. or they hear at their family reunions. And, and I know that for me, for example, um, coming from um, coming from an immigrant background, and coming home to like coming home to music of of like of my culture but then going to school and seeing a completely different culture i wanted to fit in so bad that i pushed away everything that my culture 
gave like I pretended to not speak Spanish. I didn't mm. want my parents to go to parent conferences because I didn't want my friends to know that they didn't speak English. Things like that. Like mm. I wanted to dress as American as possible. Mm. Um, and then just like really deny that. And and then and I think it's just part of that. Um, it's part of that age where we find our identities. We want to make sure that our identities are really for ourselves and they're really our own and not the identity that was placed on us from our parents, right? Mm -hmm. And then after that, it's like, okay, I found it. I know who I am. Do I belong? And once once you have established all of that, I think this happens sometime after... Um, after 27, when like the frontal cortex has finally closed, you begin to realize where your true place is in the world. And this is around the time where people start to show like true appreciation for like the sacrifices their parents made for them mm. or whatever it may be, you know. And then that's when it like really starts to sink in. It's in your late 20s where you start to really like find this appreciation for all the other things that built who you were. And that's when I really started listening to Spanish music again. Um, mm. And now, to be honest, it's like like out in the world. And, and I had a ton of piercings when I was younger with with like like colored hair and I was all shaved mm. off. I looked like a little punk girl. Um, if like if you saw me out in the world, maybe I, I look like a little rocker girl or something. Um, but if you go into my car, I I have like. I have my dad's old playlist from like 1977 yeah. listening to like Spanish romanticas and all of this. Mm -hmm. And it's like this place of nostalgia. Anyways, bringing this to the mariachi. I will just my my goal with this long term like this long term goal of mine is to plant the seed of 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 our roots and maybe someday the kids will leave and they'll be like, oh, I don't know that I like this. Or maybe they will. You know, I have no idea. And maybe like 10 years down the line, they're like, you know what? I like I know this music and I know this music so well because it wasn't just the music I cleaned the house to. This was the music <laughs> that like I learned to play when I was in the eighth grade. And I mm -hmm. and I played the opening of the Mercado wherever, you know, like. Yeah. And, and I did things to contribute back to the community because these are also the songs that our community recognizes. Like, mm -hmm. they don't, like, like the local Latino shops, they they love live music, but, like, playing classical music of, like, white Europeans is really, a, it's so disconnected from where they're at, from the music that they heard growing up. Yeah. So I would love to just give something that's a little more culturally relevant. That's... Great. I mean, um, yeah, to to play something that has significant meaning to your background and your community's background. Um, I feel it's so important. And you mentioned something. Um, uh, one of our guests, Laura Valle, I mentioned her earlier. Um, she was born and grew up in Argentina. Mm -hmm. And that's the place where music was very vibrant and tango was everywhere mm -hmm. and she wanted to get away from tango so she went off and to a conservatory to study music in europe and however she studied other types of music um she yearned i don't know if it was homesickness i don't want to put words in her mouth but she yearned for f music from her youth and found her and found herself playing 
tango and Argentinian music in Europe because there was it was interesting for Europeans and there was a need there and there was a des- a desire on her part. And a similar thing happened to another guest uh, from Colombia that we had. So it's very interesting. So a voyage doesn't have to be a physical one. There can also be an internal voyage where y- the the individual wants to disassociate themselves from something familiar. But in the end, they return to that familiarity and um, home can be music as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to sit with what you just said and I agree a thousand percent, a thousand mm-hmm. percent with with everything that you just shared. Um yeah, I I I think like my voyage to was um was that of like not only trying like going through an early phase of denying my culture and now coming back and being so proud of of where I come from and the things that have made me the person that I am. Um, but it's also like this deep desire to want to want to help um, the people in my, in my culture, in my community. Um, I remember like one of the reasons, and this is so cliche and like really honestly, like, I'm kind of embarrassed to share this, but um, like one of the reasons I wanted to go to Africa right after university to help out, I I felt I had done a lot of good. I had been in so many programs, like volunteer programs since middle school and high school um, and, and in university, like helping people of other communities. I wanted to go to Africa because just the things that like they feed you on TV that Africa is like so in need and and there's like and and you know you're in like your early 20s and you have this desire to just like really like to help and change the world and whatnot um but eventually like my my goal always was in the back of my head like I'm I'm going to help people in other communities, but at the end I want to come back and help the people help to empower people in my own community. Mm -hmm. Like kids that could have been me, you know, that like, um, yeah. And, and that's where like, like you spend so much time trying to deny who you are, but in the end, like you can't fight against like what's really hidden inside of you, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, this is who I am, a Latina from East LA, and <laughs> I've come back to this. So, yeah. yeah, wonderful. Okay, so I know we've kept certain things hush hush, but for our audience um, and for what you're willing to disclose, is there a way they can find you if they're interested in following up on anything, or is your IG like private? I. Uh, my IG is private. Okay, actually. that's fine. Okay. Okay. So um, if you have any last message to say, like support this and this program or whatever, this is a good time to do it. I don't have anything public yet, to okay. be honest. Or, yeah. or just like a generalized program, support your local whatever. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if I could give, like, if I could give any advice, if it's like, 
if it's a parent that's out there listening, perhaps, um, just like let your kids let your let let your kids try, let your kids play, let your kids especially encourage encourage a type of expression, um, a type of expression that would let them that would let them have any type of creative outlet, and. Of course, I would. I'm gonna say that music is the best, but it's not always the one that fits everyone. You know, maybe a kid would feel better dancing, or maybe a kid would feel better drawing, or whatever it is. But they, I feel like all children need that creative outlet, especially now. Like we spend so much time, we we put so much pressure on our kids. Like kids, I, my eight year old niece yesterday, somebody asked her if she was going to go to college and she said duh how else am i going to get a job mm. um and and of course we want we want our kids to become educated but i feel i feel that the push is happening at at a much earlier age where you're telling them it's like this all or nothing like you either you either like are working your little butt off as much like as hard as you can or in the third grade if you don't get straight A's they might not let you into school you know there's all this pressure and and a lot of it is like it's really specific to our society um not and there are some there are some like cultures and countries that are even more gung-ho about about this pressure on like testing and academics and whatnot but if I could just say anything, like if I could give a final message is like, let them play and let them express and just give them like, like for a kid, I feel as they're trying to explore the way, the way it should be. And I actually, and I heard this from, from a really wise woman. Um, she said, like, like put a buffet in front of them, a table full of so many different things that they can try and then see what they're attracted to nurture, whatever that may be. You know, so and a lot of the time and I don't think you're going to find that that's like studying like multiplication tables for like five hours at the end of the day. You know, mm -hmm. like that's also important. That has benefits. But like allow the nurturing of um, allow the nurturing of play to occur. OK, beautifully said. And on that note, that is the most perfect way to end this episode of Pepe and Ibra. We'll probably have an after show if there's time or maybe not if this episode is very long. I'll find out <laughs> when I edit. But um, Misty, thank you so much mm -hmm. for coming on. I hope you had a good time. And I'm sure anything that you've said in this last hour is going to be so helpful, not for parents or students of music but just even other musicians in general it's um it brings back a lot of nostalgia um and then just reinvigorating the value of the creative arts um thank you again thanks for being my friend thanks for not freaking out when you saw me naked in the shower <laughs> welcome to our surprise segment now it's time for a visit from Madame Pepe. Welcome to Tarot Time. You can call to me, Madame Pepe, and I am here in this place to show the good fortunes of our guests. Uh, what I do, I summon the informations combined with cards, and so you and our guests can receive learnings. Okay, let's go. 
now we have some intuitions for Miss D. Okay, the educator Miss D. What do we have in store for you? Okay, what do we have? Whoa, the Two of Swords. Very interesting card. Some people might think that it is a card where someone is defensive on guard and is blindfolded and vulnerable, but actually... Uh, when you think of this with Miss D, Miss D is a Gemini. So she has two twins that are living in harmony with each other. Okay, so what we see here for our listeners who cannot see is a woman sitting down on a stone bench at holding two swords pointed and is blindfolded but you know what she is ready she is balancing and she is calm the waters behind her are calm and then there's a moon and so everything is tranquil okay so uh i remember in the talk you said that uh to be a teacher especially a music teacher, you have to multitask. You can't do this job if you do not multitask. And in order to multitask, you need to know how to balance your priorities, okay? So I very much like this card for you, Miss D. Very little people have such talent for multitasking and you can't serve your students unless you take care of yourself and find your inner balance and inner peace, okay? So, uh, Miss D, if you're listening, uh, just keep doing what you're doing. You're on the right path, so you will be able to reap the benefits of your rewards and uh, you will find prosperity, okay, Miss D? <laughs> That's it. I enjoy to bring good news and fortunes to you. Uh, thank you very much for visiting Madame Pepe. And okay, well, no more. Very good. See you and bye now. Now it's time for our after show. This is where my bandmate Ibra and I usually chat about the recent episode or any random happenings that are going on in our band. All right. Uh, welcome to the Pepe and Ibra after show. You did another prank with beds with you and Jeremy. Oh yeah. At, t tell us about it's that. Not one prank. We used to. <sighs> My thing was stealing a pass key. I stole the pass key. <laughs> I don't know why I do that. <laughs> and we would take. Well, I know I do it so we can do this kind of stuff. <laughs> take the bed out of the room, but we'd wait. So the room was rented out, <laughs> and then the people go up to the room. We'd be down at the desk, right? We'd see that they rent this room, the the room we had the passkey to. Uh -huh. And then we'd run up there and move the bed before they go in the room. Mm. And then we put it in our room. <laughs> and, then, and then the people would be, honey... I don't see a bed, do you? No, dear. <laughs> well, we need to go down to the front desk. So they go uh, down toot, 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 to the front desk. And you're talking about in Canada, when we played, it would be the nightclub, the rooms, which was usually more than one story, and a strip club, all three things, oh. and separate places, but all three things in one building. Oh, so they had to go down the elevators by that time. Oh. We had time to put the bed back in <laughs> with the frame. And we 
we'd see the manager who was the funniest uh, Asian guy. <laughs> little, little guy. He could barely speak English. <laughs> and he's all, he goes in the room. You see, that's a bed. Why are you crazy? Why you say there's no bed? There's a bed. <laughs> and they're like, no, but there wasn't one. He goes, ah, you crazy. You are drunk. <laughs> yeah. No, we're not drunk. <laughs> we Jeremy are <laughs> we're, we're like we had the door crack you know yeah <laughs> so after enough of that this this owner said like wait a minute wait a minute <laughs> this can't be how can this happen so, so he caught us he's he's he he hid somewhere <laughs> And then he jumps out when we had the bed. We're like, we dropped the bed. We're like, yikes. He goes, I knew you two guys. <laughs> oh, man. He, and then he goes, he told us if we weren't such a good band, because at that place, we were their favorite <laughs> band for the, for the uh, crowd that mm -hmm. he had. And um, he said he would have fired us. Oh. Okay, like another funny story with that. So we finished that place. Mm -hmm. We went back about six months later because they liked us so much. Mm -hmm. and, and I had I had gotten beat up like real bad. Oh, and yeah. And I had dry blood on me. I had a fractured clavicle, which hurts more than a break. The well, bones were rubbing Do you want to talk about the fight? I got my ass kicked. I was super drunk. <laughs> and I tried to fight and forget it. That guy you, was a karate guy. You were trying guy. to defend someone, right? Davey. Yeah. And normally I did know how to fight good and I could fight good. <laughs> First of all, I had no business getting him. It was not towards me. Second of all, I was so drunk I couldn't even walk, let alone. Because, okay, <laughs> Canadian beer is stronger than our beer. Oh, okay. Good super to know. strong. In that particular night, I got not just drunk, wasted. So, yeah, I couldn't fight. So mm -hmm. the guy tore me out. I had it coming to me. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, we drove to the next place. We would drive usually usually two days. No shower, no nothing. Two days. We'd stop to eat, slept in the van or in the car. We had a Cadillac and a van. Okay. And then um, the van, well, when, when we'd get there, they run to the room. Mm -hmm. to shower, you know, because everybody's really wanting a shower yeah they forgot about me yeah and here i am limping like limping walking <laughs> oh, and i oh. finally got there and first guy the, the first thing it was the that club owner yeah well the owner of the whole property goes oh neither you <laughs> oh, again and he goes what happened to you <laughs> and i told him i got beat up he goes why you playing bond again? I go on the drum. He goes, a drama? <laughs> How you play drums like that? I go with one hand. He goes, one hand? <laughs> so I did that before. Not not to make fun of him. I did that before the guy from Def Leppard. But, um, <laughs> so, oh yeah, um, I played with one hand. It hurt so much. I literally couldn't. I had the snare propped. I couldn't even go like that. Oh, it, it was insane. Super painful. Oh. So one of the songs we did is Tijuana Brass. It goes, Duh. it goes, Duh. Duh, dun, dun. that row. Yeah. Taste, dun, dun. taste of honey. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And then it has a row. Uh, dun, 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 
Okay, I couldn't do none of those roles. And the beginning <laughs> went like this. I, you know. Yeah. But you know what? I kept the gig. Yeah. I was able to still do my thing. Mm-hmm. And I can get into other things. I still did my thing with girls even though I could barely move. Yeah. And, <laughs> oh, my God, some stories about that. But that's probably TMI yeah. right now. Okay. Well, I mean, we got some definitely uh, interesting stories. So that about wraps it up uh, for this after show of Pepe and Ibra. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to listen and choosing our podcast. It really means a lot to us. On our next episode, we're going to have Paul Killian, a guitarist, an entrepreneur, and visionary of X-Gear guitar pedals. Paul talks about his journey from the East Coast to the West Coast, how to present yourself professionally in the music industry, and his travels abroad to China to develop and manufacture X-Gear pedals. Please rate and review our podcast. And if you want to keep our podcast, Pepe and Ibra, going or support our band, Glass Spirits, please join our Patreon. For just $5, $3, or even $1 a month, you can help keep us afloat. Our band name, Glass Spirits, is one word spelled G-L-A-S-S-P-I-R-I-T-S. You can find us on most social media platforms just under Glass Spirits. The music you hear on this episode is our podcast theme song. It's an original song by our band Glass Spirits called Something Unspoken. You can download Something Unspoken from all major retailers or stream it on Spotify. Now, I'll leave you to enjoy the rest of our song, Something Unspoken. Again, thanks for tuning in and see you next time on Pepe and Ibra. Ibra.